Okay, we are live. Okaidi, welcome back to my channel, Maybe Between the Pages. My name is Taylor, and today we have a very exciting, they're always exciting, but episode of Page Chewing. Uh, today we are joined by Daniel D. Jackson and Tom Dumbrell. Both of them are very, very popular uh, self-pub authors, and we are so happy to have them on Page Chewing. Uh, typically, before we get started, we like to give everyone a chance to do a little kind of self-introduction. Uh, tell us about your works and uh, how you find yourself on page chewing with us today, if you all wouldn't mind. Maybe we could just go in a circle, maybe Daniel and then Tom. Okay, well, well, first of all, thank, thanks for having me on here. And it's, uh, I'm looking forward to the chat we're going to have. Uh, I, I'm on the show today because I'm a, an epic fantasy author. I know at least two of you have read my book. Um, I published my debut novel in March 2021, which is Elborn, which is a epic fantasy novel set in a medieval fantasy world starring four young adults who begin to develop supernatural powers. I, I could go on at length to tell you more about the story, but that, that, that's why I'm here, because um, I, I'm, I've embarked on a career as an author really from 2018 onwards, published my first novel, just finished writing my second novel, and I'm in the process of starting publication for that. Uh, and I've really enjoyed getting into the fantasy community in the last 18 months since that novel was was produced and, you know, got to know Tom very well during that period and more recently had a lot, a lot of interactions with PL. So it's great to chat with everyone here today. You, Tom? Yeah, um, obviously I'll be echo echoing a lot of that. And it is actually really nice um, to actually, you know, you do these kind of interactions over Instagram, things like that. It's really great to get faces on the screen as well, actually. So it's, um, I really appreciate being invited along today. I am the author of the recently completed Pillars of Peace trilogy, uh, which consists of The Look of a King, uh, No Place for Peace, and Where Heroes Were Born. Um, mine is, I guess, more of a kind of a classic traditional fantasy, maybe more of an adventure fantasy story with you know, maybe a bit more of a leaning towards sort of a historical, historical fiction type of feel. And yeah, very, very pleased to have completed the series and, and, and great to be able to talk about it. And, and like, like Daniel says, I'm, I'm really happy to be part of a really thriving scene um, where I've read a lot of great indie books. So it's always great to be involved in chats like this and to be recognized for my own um, involvement. Yeah, like I said in the beginning, we're so happy to have you both on. Um, we have just a couple people stopping by in the comments. We have excited for this one, Melanie Gray, also another self-pub author in her own right. Uh, hello, hi Richard. Hey Richard. Okay, we got a lot of people stopping by. Here we go. Yes. Oh, Esme is here. Hi, Esme. Popping in to say hi. Uh, she is a reading machine. <laughs> so. Yes, she is. <laughs> yes. Uh, thanks, everyone, for coming by. So, you know, usually we just ask a question or two to, to start off, and then we kind of let the conversation go where it may. But something that I've seen for both of your books uh, in both reviews and descriptions is that they're character-based. There's a lot of love for your characters in both of the series. And I'm also a character-based reader myself. So, and I know PL, your characters in A Drowned Kingdom, you're a character-based reader and writer yourself. So I'm curious for you guys, what makes a good character? What is, is the key, a couple key points that for you as an author is important? 
Uh, you okay if I start, Song? It's a, Absolutely. It, I, I think people in the world are full of imperfections. You know, we all have aspirations to do things that are good. Um, and we all have aspirations to achieve certain things. But everybody is, has areas where they're, they're brilliant and areas where they have flaws and imperfections. And for me, an interesting character is somebody who... You can't always tell what they're going to do, um, whether that's because either they don't have the talent for it or they don't have the right character or objectives for it. I particularly find fascinating characters who are morally grey, where you can't just take a judgment that says that person will always do the right thing and they'll always act in a, in a selfless manner in the interests of other people in their society. And, and I, I think if you, if you take all those factors for me, what, what makes a book interesting is having characters where their actions are unpredictable, where you might have a sense what they're going to do. You might believe you know what that character will do in any given situation, how they might react, but they, they might have the capacity to surprise you. And certainly in creating the, the characters I did for Illborn, I wanted to create four very distinct characters who had different backgrounds, different ways of thinking, and also probably on the moral spectrum, sat in different places. And therefore, when you re were reading them, it felt like a, a very a disparate and separate group of people um, rather than people who are quite predictable. I don't I don't like characters who always do the right thing and are the best at everything they do. That, that doesn't work for me. Don't know about you, Tom. Yeah, my, uh, similar, I suppose. I think for me, with my with my trilogy, it's interesting actually that people refer to it as having as being a character driven story, and I probably owe a lot of that to the editing process and my my wife who helped with the who well who did the editing because I had an idea for a story in book one, and actually those characters were were just moving pieces, and I think it was early on in that process where she started to flag with me about motivations. What do they what do they want? What do they stand to lose? What do they stand to gain? That the characters began to flesh out around them. And I think now every time I see people relating to any of those characters, good, bad, or indifferent, it's because they at least understand the objectives of that character and where within the story, where they're at in terms of reaching that objective. So in that sense, even a desperately unlikable character can become likable as long as you can measure where they're at in their arc um but yeah i mean it's 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 great to see people honestly and truly to see people relating to your characters i think is one of the most rewarding parts of it all for, for sure and i think i think you can separate likability from level of interest in a character because I, yeah. I, I know for a fact in your your second book tom there's a, there's a character who generally he isn't very likable but he's a fascinating character for me and certainly your main character pl he's you know he, he is a character who is is incredibly interesting to follow but would you say he's a a likable or nice person some people might but, but oh a he's a teddy bear a teddy bear <laughs> i know what you're talking about <laughs> Uh, it, it's it, 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 the two things. I mean, personally, if, if I can like a character and find them interesting, that's perfect. But I'd rather find them interesting than likable and dull. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And you've you've definitely got a few of those in your books, Dan. That's for sure. There's a, there's a lot of times it's like I don't know if I like this person anymore, and then the next chapter I feel like I might be starting to like them. But either way, I'm enjoying the journey. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I see what I hear from from both of you is like nuance, right? So nuanced or morally gray characters. 
um, I think that's something that a lot of people have come to appreciate over the years in fantasy. There is a space, of course, for the archetype of the hero or the villain. Um, but I'm definitely seeing a trend myself as well um, in enjoying morally gray characters. Um, you know, A Drowned Kingdom, you know, PL's book, but also uh, we've talked about uh, gunmetal gods quite a bit. Uh, Steve and I have, and uh, PL have, um, have had interviews with Zama Akhtar and his series also is very gray. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be what people like about it is that it's gray and that yeah. people are flawed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so there's an unpredictability about that that I particularly enjoy. I, I mean, I think that's maybe where I've struggled maybe with some of the, the more popular fantasy series, because I think maybe to a point, a lot of fantasy was so innately heroic in its nature that you knew the good and bad very clearly and you knew really where the story was going to go and there's definitely a time and a place for those stories and for tropes and all those different things but it's really wonderful when you when you know you really never know what the character's going to do next and again not because they're necessarily good or bad but they might be flawed or be a poor decision maker or whatever it may be as long as you've established that character and their unpredictability as we are all unpredictable that's what makes it exciting i think so um yeah that's great. I'm, I'm glad that people are recognizing our characters. We're doing something at least half right. Is this where you tell us our plots are distinctly lacking? Or <laughs> Well, we'll get there in a minute, but we do have some comments um, of people agreeing with you, uh, saying that Elborn is still one of my favorites of the year and Pillars of Pieces high up on my TBR. Same. Uh, yep. Can confirm that Daniel's character work is an absolute standout for me. I loved every single movie. So, yep. You're not, we're not alone in the feelings. Relating to characters does not equal liking them. Wendell much. Yeah, that was the, uh, <laughs> that was the, the character that Daniel kindly mentioned a moment ago. Yeah. I, I, thought, he was, I, I, I thought he was a brilliant character though. I, I really enjoyed reading it. It was fun, right? <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's, that's summed up in a nutshell. He was all right. Shit. But it was great to see that journey. <laughs> hey, Andrew. Andrew what's oh, up? Hi. Oh, he's amazing. Andrew. Yeah interesting is better than likable definitely love to hate a lot of characters they're always super compelling to read when they're like that mm -hmm. this is also something that i find loving to hate a character like having a villain be so well crafted that you kind of like them <laughs> yeah. uh, where you can kind of see their perspective and their view and you're like i you kind of, I kind of see your logic, you know. I'm actually quite a big fan of that because I think that's quite oh. important for villains as well. Because if, if a villain, some, if you go back in the past, like the villain's only motivation might have been, I'm going to take over the whole world, I'm going to destroy all your peaceful civilizations, and everything's going to collapse. And it's, and if you ask the question, why, why do you want to do that? What, what's driving your motivation? What do you get out of it at the end of that process? Yeah. It's not always necessarily clear. So again, having villains where you can get a good understanding of what their motivations are and there's more nuance and there's actually a reason for them doing what they're doing. I think that drives, a, that for me, again, that drives a more interesting story than the guy who sits in the northeast corner of the map and then over books one to seven spreads southwest destroying mm -hmm. countries as he goes for no apparent reason other than that you know i felt like doing it because i'm evil yeah. <laughs> well it's like it's like i mean everyone's a hero of their own story right so yeah. i i this is one of the things i love most about writing in multiple point of view is when you take a particular character and view them through different perspectives and also the converse they're like 
in Illborn, I love the converging of characters, you know, because that just sheds entirely different perspectives on those characters than you formed up until that point because of the point of view that you've been in, you know, in, in up until that point for whatever interactions you've had. And that's where all of a sudden heroes can become villains through a different set of eyes. And I find that to be such an interesting thing to play with. Um, and writing from the perspective of a villain where they don't feel like they're a villain is, you know, a really interesting journey to take the, the reader on, I think. Yeah. Yes, very much so. I, I have to say, uh, Tom, I love the, the specs for the covers in the back hanging behind you for your trilogy. That is, that's, that's awesome. You don't but... think it's self-indulgent at all? <laughs> no, no, it's show, show your wares. I should have been in a wallpapered room where it's just, it's just repeated <laughs> over meters of wall. No, show your wares. I'm so excited to read, read your series. Like, I'm Thank you. We're, so... we're definitely going to have to do a switch over on some books and I'd uh, love to get started on yours as well. Oh, always, I'm honored. Always keen to get started on some new stuff. Honored, sure. totally game. Totally you're game. just lucky you're not in his room with the pillars of peace wallpaper and he's wearing yeah. his pillars, <laughs> pillars of peace pajamas maybe yeah, like bands of bread <laughs> so many merch ideas here <laughs> how can i monetize these books to its yeah. absolute extent <laughs> I can't, I can't say anything. I can't say anything. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I can't throw stones, you know? right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a really good point, PL made though about your covers because that was a question I had for you specifically, Tom. Was your covers are amazing? Like, as soon as I looked them up, I, they're just so unique. Like, mm -hmm. I can tell they're fantasy, but they don't look like a normal fantasy cover. You know, man with sword. You know, it, it yeah. doesn't have that vibe at all. So I'm wondering what inspired them and then what was the process in getting such unique artwork done? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with that. And I'm really pleased with the way they came out and that we were able to stumble across a, a formula that was then replicated into book two and book three so that they really do look like a set. I'm, I'm delighted. I'm really delighted for that. I had an initial idea about it because the, 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 the book really starts off with two young men as the kind of the focus of the story and i wanted to split out how they were divided and so with the sword it it came to be quite an obvious image so i put together a truly horrible first version on word basically just using whatever i could to crop various images together and i was just really lucky to then have a, a designer in the the town that i live in who was happy to take the project on and just did a really good job i guess as any good designer will of taking all of the aspects that I wanted to get across, but to visualize it in a way that was much more artistic. And then we just had all the all the bits to work with to, as I say, to repeat that in books two and three. I think the third, Where Heroes Were Born, the cover, I think is probably my favorite. And it's just, I don't know, it's it just really came together so quickly. And um, and then I think most of my my promotion has been through Instagram and most of my readers have come through the fact that they have been intrigued by the cover so for me it's been a hugely important process and something that has been right to put pressure on each book to make sure the cover is one that is eye-catching absolutely stunning covers Tom I mean, yeah I mean I, I, I can't pick a favorite out of the three because they're all they're all fantastic covers I think you showed me that word document though and all I'd say it's stick to writing and don't get into cover design <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. I can say as someone who sends my poor tattoo artist my ideas scribbled, you know, and I'm like, can you make this look pretty? Do you know, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, right? He's like, I, I, I think I know what you drew, you know, so yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you no skill. <laughs> Those covers are gorgeous. It gives me that um, uh, Tudor-esque Lancastrian kind of 
yeah. vibe where the roses kind of mm-hmm. vibe something about it as soon as i saw them and I, of course i'm a huge historical uh fiction and historical fantasy fan so boom you know you you had me at hello with with your with your books and your covers tom so I right. that's, that's no, i appreciate that uh, I, I have a feeling you need some of my faves um illborn like <laughs> illborn illborn is um well it's certainly it's certainly in the running for my for my personal books of the year favorite without a doubt i've said that publicly over and over again it's just it's it's, it's a masterpiece um you know and the testament of course is that you know you, you can't look at a at a fantasy blogger these days on youtube without seeing illborn being featured at some point so it's very much uh, in the public eye and, and and is really really done done well and deservingly so um you know i i i daniel i have to ask like this this one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite books is as we talked about as taylor so aptly uh, highlighted is the characters and taylor also said something yesterday in one of our uh, in our our um show with eve with eve uh Kovitz that you know was really really apt uh was that you know two things can be true at once so with your characters i very much felt that way that you know they were you know had so many sterling qualities and yet so many despicable qualities at the same time right yeah. so um was that is that one of your favorite aspects of your book the fact this duality that you know these two things can can coexist that these people act selfishly um you know completely despicably in 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 on one hand and then they're they're altruistic and they're noble and then they're doing all these great things uh the next minute yeah, I, I, I think it is, and I really appreciate what you said, Pierre, particularly that coming from a, a fellow author whose book I've read and, and I, I thought was fantastic, so I really appreciate you saying that, so thank you. Um, but people in real life don't exist on one spectrum of this quality to that quality. People have different qualities. Someone could be you know, exceptional and good in one aspect and then flawed in another aspect, and the, the characters in the book, I, I, I think of them in my own mind as they are products of their own backgrounds. So they come from four very different places. What well, One comes from the nobility, one comes from a small clan, one comes from a almost what you describe as a middle class background with a lot of religious instruction as part of it. Uh, and the fourth is the daughter of a courtesan in a in a of a, a mother who who was basically cast out of her family in shame and as a result of that they are they've come from different places they will have a different outset on the lookout of the world and the way they view certain situations will all differ with each other and that then that for me if you're writing the characters it, it makes it interesting to put them into a situation and then form a view of what will they do what will they think in that situation what will be the outcome of their decision and thought processes? If you can articulate that to the reader, it makes an emotional connection with those characters and it makes the book more interesting. And the, the, the characters, the more, uh, you, the more you feel multiple aspects to a character's personality, the more those characters, I think, will resonate with people and will stay with them afterwards. And they'll be thinking about those characters after they put the book down. If characters are one-dimensional and you can always make a judgment that their actions or decisions in any given set of situation will be determined by these categories, then um, 
it, it becomes a lot more predictable as to where the story will go. I'd like I'd like to talk in more depth about particular characters and what I mean by this. But unfortunately, for people who haven't read the book, it would it would give quite large spoilers. But I hope that gives a flavour of my thinking about it. I mean, I would add to that and say just broadly that I mean, without this becoming a sort of a ill-born loving, um, you know, I, I'm I'm putting myself in the fanboy uh, category here as well, and I definitely had ill-born as you know, one of my top books of last year. One of the things I just found so remarkable is that for me, okay, yeah, keep on gushing. Great. You've got just the right person for this. So uh, one of the things for me is I would describe my, my, my desirable fantasy book as one that's about 350 pages long. So I wasn't particularly enamored by the idea of reading Ilborn, quite honestly. Uh, I thought it was going to become a novelty sort of, uh, you know, doorstop for me, but it, it, it manages to take all that nuance. It manages to take a great deal of world building, a great deal of thought and make that book something, you know, when you talk about inhaling or just digesting a book, that book is so easy to take on all that information. That's the thing that I love about it is it is such an easy read, not in a way that it means that it's in any way simplified, but it's just su such an accessible book. And I really appreciated that because I can I, I can admire world building for what it is, but it doesn't necessarily mean sometimes when it gets very heavy and clogged down that it it is necessarily hugely enjoyable to read. So that would be for anyone who hasn't read Illborn, that would be what I would say is one of my things I really, really enjoyed about it, in addition to everything we've already discussed. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, and I saw, um, you know, Ilburn has been on my list for quite some time. I will get to it. But I did look up uh, reviews and everything. And a lot of people say that the distinctive voices are another thing that really um, stuck out to them. So you did mention you have four different points of views and uh, very distinctive voices that go with that. Uh, yeah. So that, I think, also lends itself to making a longer book easier to read to go with Tom's point, because yeah. if you get that change, oh, I'm in this character's point of view now, oh, I'm here now, it doesn't feel as long, uh, in my personal opinion. No. Although yeah. uh, I know that Esme and I also say that if a book has long chapters, it, it's longer than a book with short chapters, and that's just science. But I think regardless of the length of the chapters, if you're changing the perspectives, that helps keep it fresh. Yeah, yeah, I think you're as invested in each of the points of view. And that's that's another thing that's tricky because there are there will inevitably be books where you're just like, oh, how many pages is it until I get back to this particular character whose story I'm finding a lot more engaging than the rest? And and that's obviously one of the things that, you know, clearly I didn't think was the case here. But that is one of the challenges, I think, with points of view is ensuring that each of them are relatively interesting or, or you know, as interesting as one another anyway. Yeah, and certainly that's the case. The case in both Tom and my books is, I mean, for me, the, the, the classic example of doing this well was, was George R.R. R. Martin and the way that in the A Song of Ice and Fire series, he goes between chapters and characters. That, that for me, is the, is the perfect example of doing a multiple pov approach where each pov applies to a chapter and you change. And I know you do that in your books, Tom. Um, certainly I do that in mine. And Part of the pacing issue for writing a longer book was, uh, I take on board that the, the chapter side of it, I've, I've, I've tried to keep my chapters at a maximum of 20 pages for, for a pov and then switch again. But one good thing about doing the multi-pov approach on a longer book is, is from a pacing point of view, if you can hit the end of a chapter, leave some intrigue or a, a jeopardy at the end of that chapter. And I remember reading a great book that was always for chapter structure was always start with intrigue and end with jeopardy. And, 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 it, and it's, it's and that, that's basically if I, when I'm trying to write that, that's 
to try and create as many cliffhangers as possible between characters and then frustrate somebody by knowing it's they're going to take another have to read three full chapters before they get back to the answer it's a it's, it's a challenge to write but it's it's good it's good fun when it works for sure pr do you are you conscious of your chapter lengths as well it's interesting because I, I i know daniel says about 20 pages for me it's i try to aim for about three thousand words invariably do you have that same thought in your mind or is that not something that occurs to you uh, I'll be frank, it occurs to me, but I tend to break my own rules a lot. So wh I, what I do is, um, you know, there's chapters where I feel by necessity they need to be more lengthy, and then mm -hmm. others I keep them really brief, especially, um, you know, depending if it's an action, a very battle-focused chapter. I like those, you know, fairly short, fairly punchy, and, you know, usually by the end of the chapter, the battle scene is is wrapped up and those are the shorter chapters and then you know the chapters with more exposition and world building etc those tend to be the longer ones uh you know and 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 my my logic has always been that you know um because i battle scenes for me especially in fight scenes uh i i believe that they should reflect life you know like in terms of you know battle scenes are quick they're dirty they're bloody and they're over and mm -hmm. and and then you know um and and then you move on so um but I tend to do a lot of buildup to the actual scene because I want to keep the stakes high, right? I believe that battle scenes should have, um, you know, there should be there should be some momentum going towards them, and you should feel like a lot is on the line. So Daniel was talking about jeopardy and injury, yeah. So I want to build that tension towards this this climactic fight scene. But the fight scene itself, I want to be pretty pretty. I want to be some brevity there, right? Yeah. So, we it was interesting to me, actually, with having read through the, the first three books of Song of Ice and Fire this year, how little of the actual battle scenes are depicted. You tend to actually, as I say, get all that build up and then you tend to get the, you know, the the legacy of it or you tend to hear the, the consequences right. of it through a different point of view. I, I've never really, when you see the show and you see a lot of combat and stuff happening, you figure that that would be in the text, but it's actually inferred in the text more than it actually is in the show, which surprised me. But I, I love the way it was handled because I have to say I'm, I'm not a huge fan of writing action scenes, to be honest with you, particularly battle scenes, because for me, in, in, at least in my limited imagination, there's only so many different ways you can stab somebody or cave their head in with something. Maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm just lacking <laughs> imagination, but I, I tend not to want to, because like you say, I want to get to what the, the consequence is of that. So it's interesting that some people really, and if you, I mean, I, if you read the John Gwynn books, for example, yeah. there's a guy that clearly just yeah. loves being right there on the battlefield and mm -hmm. lives that. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's interesting how we each represent that differently. Yeah, um, I, I, I love Daniel's uh, battle scenes, the, the main one that, that, that in the book. And again, I liked it because it was, you know, um, it's kind of punctuated, like came, it was great. You know, the action was thrilling. It was a big buildup, long, few chapters build up. Actually, if you look back, it really essentially the whole book build up. And then it was done. And I, I, it was very, very, very well done. And that's kind of, I like to, I like to write. And I didn't think I was going to be particularly good at writing battle scenes, frankly. I'm not saying I, I still think I am, but it's other people that said, oh, you know, your battle scene. I thought maybe my world building I'd be more, uh, you know, be more recognized for. And that's, I thought that'd be more my forte. But people kept saying, we want to see more of your battle scenes because they're really good. So, okay. Right. You know, and then there's that, that I don't know if Daniel, you and Tom found the same thing. There's always that challenge with giving your audience what a lot of them are climbing for versus writing your book. And I, I find as I move on in, in my writing, that's always 
part of, you know, something I, I struggle with, you know, when he goes, oh no, we love this. I'm like, less of this, more of this. And, you know, so, but anyways. <laughs> well, Jeff, can I just say, PL, I, I know it's not quite a battle scene. I absolutely love the, the dual scene. I won't give any details away, but in your book, because that, that is a great example of building up. I was something. stressed. I was stressed <laughs> during that scene. I I was sweating a little bit. <laughs> I totally agree with that. And, and, yeah, and you, Tom, noticed you actually, so, so you, you wrote, the, the battle scenes you wrote in the second book were, were actually much fuller than the ones you wrote in the first book. That, that, that definitely came across to me in, in No Place for Peace. Yeah. That the, the end of the book was, and similarly, there are scenes in where heroes were born, right? Where it's a much more extended battle scene than, than in your first book. And that, that, how did you see that progression over the course of the three books? I think, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I the, in the first book, some of that, because I've I've had I've seen that commented, and that's a totally fair comment. Some of it was that I felt that when the battle was taking place in the first book, without going into too much detail, my focus for the story at that point was on a separate battle that was happening within the battle rather than the the, the yeah. wider combat itself so i don't i didn't fully explore every single sort of every every sword and every arrow you know and, and that was perhaps intentional but it what's been interesting to me is i'm i've gone on record as saying a few times i'm a lazy reader and i'm a lazy writer as well i want to get to the bits that interest me um but what i have found and, and what my wife has consistently told me is that when i'm forced to really get into the nuts and bolts of a scene and really put myself on that, in my books, pirate ship where there's a battle happening or in that walled city where there's a battle happening. And I really have to dig into my imagination. There's a lot more richness and texture that comes through. And the scene does end up being better than I thought it was going to be. Not necessarily good, but better than I thought it was going to be. So I, it's, it's good to see that you've picked that up. And it's good to see that having put a lot of effort into trying to make a battle scene, something where you do care about each individual person that's being cut down or whatever, um, that it's paid off because it's not an easy thing to do unless you're Joe Abercrombie who can just create insane battle scenes where you care you care about everybody on the battlefield. But here's a different here's a different league, right? So, excuse me, did you say pirate ships? I am very intrigued by that. It's funny nobody <laughs> listens about my books until they hear pirate ships. I wish I should, I should really should have focused on the pirate theme more. To be honest with you, um, I mean, I, I mean, I was intrigued, like I said, from the covers they did it for me, but like. Yeah, the, a lot of a lot of what people enjoy most about the books is the pirate stuff. So maybe yeah, maybe I got my focus wrong from the outset. But there's yeah, it's a yeah, it's like it, it's it's got that kind of wild, yeah, classic fantasy adventure feel. So at some point they're always in the pirate ship. Sorry, swashbuckling. Swashbuckling. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. yeah. yeah. Um, we have Hobbit Hole books with us saying he's heading to an oh. off-grid expedition to the Scottish yeah. Highlands soon. Looking Millions. Forward. Days. amazing nice. another amazing booktuber he's yeah, got really skits. yeah really funny skits out there and we actually do have a question from from hobbit hole books as well which is what's the best battle scenes you've all read i'm only going to jump straight into the 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 in joe abercrombie and the heroes um the scene where he he skips from one one person to the next person to the next person and follows a trail of, of death through through the battle. I mean, the whole the whole book is effectively a, a battle scene. But for me, when you can in in half a page bring a character to the fore that you don't know nothing about and then leave you feeling really sad when they get offed half a page later, that's that's something pretty impressive to me. That would be the one that I, I enjoyed the most. 
You've just spoiled the book for me now, Tom. I'll be worried when that character appears. There's, but... plen- there's, plenty, there's plenty enough to keep you entertained, for sure. You'll get a lot yeah. out of it. It's, uh, I, I'll, I'll go, well, can, can I pick two? First, The Hobbit. Just when I read that as a young kid, and this, the, the Battle of the Five Armies and The Hobbit just blew my mind when I was young. So, but I, I read it as a bedtime story of my son again recently, and just experiencing that again through his eyes was, was awesome as well. But... More recently, Stephen Erickson, similar to what, what Tom said, um, two of his books, Memories of Ice, but more The Bone Hunters. I mean, Stephen Erickson, I don't know how he does it, but in a single book, he writes from maybe 100 points of view. And there is an army where he probably writes in a battle from 40 to 50 different points of view. And these are all characters you've been following throughout the books. And... and then when things go badly to those characters, you feel it because you you know, you you know them. And there's a battle Igatan. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but in the Bone Hunters, which is book six, which is absolutely incredible. How he writes it from so many different points of view, and how badly wrong this battle goes for everybody involved in it. It's it's, a, it's an awesome scene. Yeah, I, I have three. There's so many. There's I have a group of maybe seven to eight writers that their battle scenes are just. But I have to mention Gwyn, um, uh, Christian slash Miles Cameron, and Bernard Cornwell. I mean, th- those those three are just Bernard Cornwell. Um, you know, I mean, you pick 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 any book. Bernard Cornwell's was the Sharp trilogies, um, the Warlord uh, Chronicles, or the Saxon stories. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't pick a battle. Uh, there's That's one battle. Yeah. yeah, there's one battle in the Winter King at the end of the book. In 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 the Warlord Chronicles by Mark Bernard Cornwall, it's Arthurian uh, legend where it's just like uh, yeah, it just blows you away. Um, and then Gwyn, I have it's hard to pick again. I think maybe Time of Courage, that one <laughs> it's bonkers. And um, Miles Cameron, his whole um, you know Traitor Sun cycle in the in the the final book. Uh, Fall of Dragons. There's there's an, a climactic battle right at the beginning, and it's again multiple POV. It's just yeah, it's it's. But there's some yeah, but they they can those three. There's many more, but those three in particular, right? Absolutely astounding, you know, pulse pounding battle scenes where you're like, uh, and yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's crazy. Well, I I also agree with Gwyn, but in the interest in, um, you know, having some different answers here, for me, two that stick out would be uh, from the Greenbone Saga. I don't know if anyone else has read that by Fonda Lee. She is a black belt martial artist herself, so she knows exactly how the body moves and how things work. And there's a duel in, I think it's the second book, the third book, between two characters that is, talk about heart pounding. I was... stressed okay i can't think of another word it's so so good and you can tell that she knows personally how that would look if two people were actually fighting in that way uh and then for like a larger scale battle i would have to say evan winter uh because yeah his his series the burning uh the first one being the rage of dragons and the second one um fires of vengeance those are military fantasy so talk about lots of battle scenes (laughs) Um, and it would have been very easy I think to get bored with how many battles are in those books because you become desensitized you guys were talking before about keeping the battle short and the build up longer 
Whereas with military fantasy, usually the ratio is kind of flipped. You have more more battle scenes. But he did such a good job. I don't want to do any spoilers here, but the way that the characters train for the battles is unique and allows them to, when they should have died, they don't. So, and it fits in with the world. So it allows for more drastic stakes to happen later on. Um, and it keeps it really, really interesting. So I really enjoyed the battle scenes in all of those books. So I would say those two probably. I forgot about winter. Amazing. Yeah. Sorry. I got City on the TBR for later this year. I bought it a few months ago. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into that one. Yeah. Yeah, which one? I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear the book. Which one is the one on the TV? Jade City, that's the first one of the group. Uh, Jade City, yeah. I have such a soft place in my heart for that, <laughs> that whole series. So, yeah, read Evan Winter, read Rage of Dragons, Fires Adventures. As Taylor said, his his fallacies are just they are completely nuts. He is, he is great. He's great. Um, I had a question for for Tom specifically, actually, because uh, one thing that I, I I I love to hear was that. So I'm understanding your wife is your primary editor. So that that is you know I, I because with Deb, my wife, she's like my business manager. Uh, we're you know we treated treated the whole indie uh, entrepreneur thing like a startup business, and and she handles the business side more, and I handle the writing side. And I'd like to think it's a it's it's somewhat a great collaboration collaboration even though technically she's the boss really mm -hmm. so you know but uh, just wondering how you know how that came about and you know um, how that is how how you know how what that's like to you know um, kind of in some ways collaborate with your wife on uh, on uh, on your writing yeah stressful most of the time um, <laughs> I think. One of the things that I, I that's how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's at least one floor away from me at this point, so I can be honest with you guys. She'll never watch this back. It's fine. Um, <laughs> she's, she's currently hovering next to the router about to do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean honestly, she it, it hasn't even been editing. It's been it's been like mentoring. I mean, I I probably like a lot of people have got a ton of first chapters of books that I started over many various different years. You know, five thousand words, ten thousand words walked away because it wasn't working for whatever reason. I'm very fortunate that my wife, when we sort of got together, she brought a, a passion for reading into the household that I'd probably lost connection with. And then when I had an idea, she was able to help me put that into a, a structure. She was help, able to help me identify the right point of view that I need to be in, the right characters. I mean, if anybody ever got hold of the first three chapters draft of, of Look of a King, they, it, it's virtually unrecognizable, but that's what I took to her and she, got me on the right path, gave me the right kind of input. I had no prior writing experience. You know, I've spent, like a lot of people, 15 years in an office writing for brevity. So all of a sudden, when someone's saying to you, I need more out of this scene, it was quite a challenging process because I took it very personally. And she comes from a writing background. So she, it's just water off a duck's back to her. She's used to feedback going in and out. And, and it, was, it, was, it was tough, but she stuck with it. And what was quite interesting is that where Heroes Were Born, the third book is 100 odd pages longer than the second one. It's 140 pages longer than the first one. And we really had some fallouts on this book. But it's because she said, I know you can do better at this point. You know, I want this book to be for you the best book so far. And so she pushed me harder. So it, it did get a bit tense, but I'm hugely grateful for the amount that she put into it. And I think looking at the end results, 
seeing the books on the shelf is is something hopefully that we both share. Um, so it's been a really good process. Now we're done. Do you think there were lessons, Tom, that you took from your wife in the first and second books that you carried into the third book that then she was recognising that there were things that you'd clashed about in the first two books that were then repeated or were you having the same arguments across the three books you'd think so because I remember saying to her when I gave her the third book this would be way easier to edit because I've already anticipated all the things you've told me in the first two <laughs> that was not the case you know it still came back with this red document like that but definitely a lot of people have commented that I slowed down in book three and focused on the characters a bit more and up until that point I had literally written what I would want to read, which is straight through, always to the action. Ideally, every single line is just hugely moving the story forward. In, in book three, I spent a bit more time with the characters, and that's what she'd been wanting me to do. Book three, obviously, was also interesting because I have a female point of view as one of the main points of view in book three, which meant I knew from the start I was going to borrow more from her in this than I was in the others because I, I wanted to do my very best to not get that wrong. Um, so there was some interesting questions. What would a woman think to this? Or, you know, which probably exposed me for <laughs> the fairly limited human being that she'd married. But it was I'm glad I asked <laughs> the questions because it seems to have gone down quite well so far. It's interesting hearing you say that because we recently had a page showing episode with Zach Argyle and Bookborn. And um, he's also known for his character work. And he mentioned as well that, uh, you know, Bookborn, she uh, she really is the reason that his his female characters came through as authentically as they did, because you have to ask those questions. There's nothing wrong with wanting to tell the story. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It was good. It definitely brought a lot of. I think it made it made it did make for a good team in the end. Um, so yeah, no, I, I really appreciate the, the the process, and it's fun to see people working that way. Although, yeah, I, I don't think it would necessarily work for everybody. I like to see that you said yeah. in the end. There. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I run a I run a small food stand with my husband. It's hard to work with. Yeah. Even yeah. if you love them, <laughs> just leave it there. But rewarding um, though, and, and and I'm just like I you know hearing Taylor talk about you know, uh, running, you know, food business, you know, with Aito and you working with your, your, your wife, Tom, I, I, my wife is, she's brilliant. Um, you know, I have to give her, give her props that love you very much. And, um, she, you know, she's the backbone of, you know, everything. Right. So, you know, and I think it's a distinct advantage having someone in your corner working with you on whether it's, you know, a restaurant business or, or a book that understands you pretty intimately and understands, you know, your, your strengths and your weaknesses and, and like you said, Tom can really push you in a, in a way, sorry, motivate you in a way that yeah. perhaps, you know, others can't uh, being your spouse. So, you know, um, yeah, that's, I, I think it is an advantage, right? And 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 no one will tell you the, 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 the unvarnished truth like your spouse. Uh, well, no I think will. the best thing about it is for the last two years, basically we'll have these interactions where we'll be sat on the sofa at home and I'll be like, babe, I was just thinking, and she's probably thinking, I'm going to say, oh, we should go out for dinner tonight. And I'll go, I don't think I am going to kill that character after all. What do you think? And we launch into this hour long conversation that she doesn't want to have because she's the only person I can talk to about the book. She just she's got this eye roll now that I recognize so immediately when it happens. But yeah, no, it's it's all good. No, it's um, yeah, the books are better for her. Let's leave it at that for sure. Yeah. Um, I just put this comment up because I just want to say, yes, 
someone else reading the Greenbone Saga. Mm -hmm. um, we had some comments here. Greenbone Saga battles are all such sensational. Yep. <laughs> Don't remind me of the anxiety that was caused by Greenbone. <laughs> Secondhand anxiety. Sorry. Sorry, it's me. <laughs> Good anxiety. Um, yeah, Evan Winter as well. Yeah. Read it, Megan. Read it. Yep. Then we have uh, having supportive writer friends and mentors is brilliant. Yeah. It's all about the people around you, right? For sure. I have to say that for all the editing support that I received from my wife, Daniel will probably be the first to admit that there's a few errors that were avoided in this book by his late intervention in Where Heroes Were Born, where we were so exhausted by the book that having somebody, a fellow author that could cast his eye over it, um, and highlight to me that I'd been spelling misspelling the word discreetly my entire life, which was greatly appreciated. <laughs> yeah, you know. Tom, yeah. No, I, was, I was very fortunate to read, just, just before the end, to read almost an advanced review copy of Tom's novel. But I, I said, look, I don't look, Tom, I definitely don't want to get into doing editorial comments on this, but if, if I spot any typos, you want to know about them? He's like, yeah, okay. So I, do, I read the book with a little, with a little pad to hand and, I think I gave you about 15 little things. There were a few. Yeah, yeah they were. Yeah. It stressed you out so much. We were about four days away from the release. And I'm just like, oh, I'll sort it. It's fine. This is yeah. the beauty of Amazon. You know, I'll do it at the last minute. Ages. <laughs> oh, the dreaded, the dreaded typos and the dreaded things you find after you think you've gone over everything and the editors have gone over everything. It's just, it drives you crazy. And then, you know, you, you come back and you see your final manuscript and you think it's pristine and then ah, oh, that one yeah. and it could be that one error but as you know it will drive you insane when you yeah. see it every time in the book it's like ah. but yeah. um i well, want to the thing is the problem is obviously as we know sadly for self-published independently published that we, we are i mean i won't go into too much about the differences between that and self-published but we, we hold ourselves to a very high standard because we know that readers regrettably particularly those who are new to reading self-published almost go into it expecting yes. these flaws and they're going to always be i mean are you i find problems in self-published in traditionally okay. published books all the okay. time doesn't okay. impact on my enjoyment of the book it happens we know it happens but you know we have such a responsibility to try and make sure that we don't lose out on a reader just because there's a couple of typos in there and it's um it's it's stressful yeah and and i want to i want to give a chance for taylor to read the question because esme had an excellent question that was leading to something that i want to ask about uh books being the hardest because i this personally one, this one, right? yeah this one because i personally found the second book for me, I know um, Daniel in the middle of writing your second book. Uh, Tom obviously read it. I found second book syndrome, like sophomore, you know, pressure to be just crushing, absolutely mm -hmm. crushing. I, I, so I want to hear. I'll let Taylor read the question and then we'll, we'll get into it. So, uh, we have was book three easiest or hardest to write? I guess difficult due to wrapping up a trilogy, but easy because you'd written two books before that already. So this is the question. Um, yeah, so, so I wonder. We, we have talked about that on page twoing before, you know, with a bunch of uh, different authors who always have a different answer to this question, <laughs> where the dip in their creative juices was, you know, when it got a little bit more difficult for them. And I'm sure it's also different based on if it's a standalone, a duology, a trilogy, or, you know, in PL's case, a seven book series. I feel like the Kate, the what's the word I'm looking for? Not cadence, but the, the flow would be different based on the length as well. Yeah. I think that one's that question's aimed at you specifically, is it Tom, for finishing the trilogy? 
Yeah. So I, I, okay. Well, I would say that it was the easiest book to write, but the one I felt under the most pressure to do. So I, not being a huge world builder, I, I was delighted that having completed book one, I'd got the foundations in place. So I, and particularly because the first book was quite short and book two follows immediately on afterwards, I found that book two was almost just like the next 80,000 pages, uh, 80,000 pages, words of, of book one. It was a continuation and I was just improving and improving. So I found book two quite easy. Book three, again, I just continued writing, but but I did feel an extra pressure with knowing that wherever I left these characters, that was where they would stay in people's mind and ensuring, although mine is not the most complex of fantasy books out there, that any loose ends were tied off so that there wasn't any unanswered questions. And, and that and, and also just the pressure of wanting, feeling like you have to end on something big. Although the story naturally will after a thousand pages or however many pages. But uh, there was an added pressure there that there had to be a special spark at the end of the book. So people were left with something that would stick with them until hopefully they reread it or, you know, a, a lasting memory. Um, but yeah, it's difficult. And actually coming back to what was mentioned earlier, one of the things I found really interesting, having written book two before I released book one you start getting reviews for the first book and people saying oh I'm desperate for this to happen in the next book or I can't wait to see what happens with this and you're thinking I have not written that in the next book that is not where this next book goes and it's interesting I think to see how much you're influenced by your reviews and feedback as to what happens with book two and how much you just stick to your guns or how much you do take inspiration from it so that would be my question to the to you guys. I mean, just picking up, Tom, in terms of the, the last 100 pages of Where Heroes Were Born, you absolutely nailed the landing. It, you know, that worry you had, it was a brilliant ending to the series. But I mean, picking up on yeah, picking up on that question, Tom, and what, what PL was asking, it, it was it's a very different feeling to writing the second book, isn't there, to, to writing the first one? Because certainly, I mean, from, from my point of view, I, I wasn't on social media at all. While I was writing the book, and even when I published it, I still wasn't on, wasn't on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, wasn't on anything. So I wrote this book in in an isolation from the audience, writing a book that I thought I would enjoy, and then published it without any kind of marketing plan of deciding what to do. So as as I wrote that book, it was it was entirely mine. It was I, I got feedback from from my wife who also edited it for me, from my beta readers, but there was no external audience giving any kind of input. And then it was published and, and, and gradually developed a following, whereas, whereas book two was different. I mean, I, I did start writing that like Tom did several months before book one came out. And before it really became popular, I'd written well over half the novel. So the, the story was absolutely set in my mind. But then you start to get feedback from people, and I can't. Okay, it's the great quote about a book takes on souls of every of the writer and everybody who reads it. It's uh, you start to get feedback, as Tom mentioned along the lines of, uh, well, you know, I wasn't sure about this in book one, but if this happens in book two, then I think that'll 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 sort everything out for me. You think, oops, <laughs> don't get your, don't get your hopes up if uh, if you're banking on that happening in book two, because. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I, I think what uh, that, that thing you said about the second book, that there's more pressure because you've got an audience already, PL, but very much. I, I, I try, I kept, and it's easier said this than done, but I kept trying to take myself back to why I started writing in 2018 
and it and why I was writing in isolation without any social media interaction about what the books because I, I wanted I spent my whole life wanting to be a writer wanting to write an epic fantasy novel and I wanted to tell this story for the love of writing it and telling that story and that created the first book and the, the challenge in the second book is then to remind yourself that that's why you're doing it and you you want to write for the people who love the first book not the people who are telling you I don't like it or it, this is not a good book or it's caveated I, I want to write the second book for the people who love the first book but throughout that it's been a case of staying true to the story that I had planned from the outset and in my own mind if I can stay true to why I'm writing which is out the love of writing that story arc that I have for the whole series um, and it, maintain my own quality control that I had for book one then the book two will come out and you know at that point you hope people will like it but I can say hand on heart I've written it then the same way that I wrote book one and for the same reasons and good or bad whatever reaction it gets that won't be a result of me doing something different to try and please an audience if that makes sense and that that's that's I'd love the people who love book one to love book two, but I haven't adjusted the plot for people who were less sure about book one because I know what the plot was going to be and that's the story I'm going to tell, good or bad. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. No, that sense. makes a lot of sense. And we actually have a comment um, here that, that goes really well off of that, which is, uh, so I just did my first beta read which was an interesting process. A lot of it probably came down to personal preference. As authors, how do you support, or how do you sort, sorry, how do you sort preferences from potential improvements? Which is a really interesting question because I know I've said a million times and I'll say it a million more, reading is subjective, right? So yeah. I could hate a book and do a review saying that I gave this book one star, but if it's a well done review, someone else may see that and be like, this is going to be my favorite book of all time, right? So, but then there are some things that can be viewed as objectively bad, I think, in some cases. Yeah. So, you know, how how would you, that's a really good question. I'm curious, how do you guys parse those things? Or do you just kind of, like you said, Daniel, just back away and let it wash over you and do what you originally planned? The the, the difference, a beta, if a beta reader is my wife reading it, that, that's very different because the book is not in a final form at that point in time. You know, it, it can still, it still can be changed. If one person picks up on a comment, but six others don't pick up on that, then, you know, you take that into account and you think, is, are they, is this, is this the right thing or not? And, and think about it very carefully. If five out of seven people are saying the same thing to you, then you're being a bit at that point bloody minded if you don't take that point on board and do something about it. And there's also, I mean, certainly I found there was, there were some points where as soon as I got the feedback from beta readers, it confirmed something that had been nagging in my own mind anyway. So, so it was this, there's somewhere just, you know what, I, I already knew what you've said there and I was just being a bit, I was being too lazy and not having done something about it myself already. But there, there are other comments where they come back, including from beta readers, and you, and you just say, I hear what you say. I, I really appreciate your feedback, but I've, I've done this for a reason that, that I understand. And 
you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to stick to my guns on this one, and it, it it's really it's I think I think you've got to be prepared to be flexible depending on the source of the feedback and the type of the feedback. And if you're not flexible at all, why are you even doing the process? You know, just just publish your book and don't let anyone see it first if you're not going to take on any any comments as they're given to you. I don't, I don't know what you think, Tom. Well, I am that person, so I don't have any advanced readers. So um, my wife is the only person who had read the books through before I finally, I mean, but for, in, in Dan's case, you know, there was, we were talking, in fact, we will go into this because Dan and I, we had a nice little lunch date and right at the last minute, just as I'm about to publish this third book, he says, I've got this incredible prologue for you for this third book. It's just gonna, it's just gonna set the whole book up. You, 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 you really should look at doing this. I'm like, damn, that is a good idea. But I am releasing this in three days' time, so that's probably not going to happen. Sadly, as much as I wish that I'd, I'd set this out to you sooner, so maybe there's some learning there for me for future. I have tended to. What would have been a beautiful prologue that? It would have been so good. It would it would have been a six star book. Um, yeah, you could have just been a guest author for the pro since you do prologues so very well. Um, but no, I, I think so. So I am left with books that I know are are all me and and well all us. Um, but there are certainly things I would look back like probably we all would still no matter how many readers we have and say I might have maybe done this differently. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have at least the Daniel Cup. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't get any advanced readers. I kept it because I, I personally didn't feel that I could deal with all that outside influence. I, 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 I'm still getting to grips with all of this. And I'm sort of like, this is the book that I want to write. This is the book I can write. And I'm not sure that having other stuff coming in at me is going to be good for my process. It's probably stubborn and closed minded. And maybe with a bit more confidence, I'd approach it differently in future. But um, yeah, the books were what they were. You'll have to wait for the, the Daniel Cut in future. <laughs> I have to say, you know, and I'm sure your books are, are phenomenal, Tom. I have to say, just to interject before I go back to my original point, uh, the prologue, you got advice from a man who knows this prologue because the prologue for Illborn is mm -hmm. one, Sir Lucas just said it, king of the prologue. Tim Hardy, uh, Hall of Bones, that's another one of the best prologues I've ever read, but the prologue for Illborn is definitely up there amongst my all-time best prologues. It is, <laughs> read it, it is phenomenal, so. Um, yeah, I didn't read the next 680 pages, to be honest with you. I just left it there. <laughs> I five-starred it. It's just quicker this way. I haven't got, I haven't got infinite time. Yeah, to read I agree. I pretty well moved the prologue. It was just like, It's so yeah. accessible, you only need to read the prologue. It's great. <laughs> the potential alone is enough. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, like quickly, just, um, you know, with Daniel raised an excellent point about second books as well that, you know, and depending on what your your plan was, a market plan. If you had a market plan, if you were kind of more winging it, um, yeah, it's it's when the first book is out, you're writing the second book, and we we all know this. You have to find a way to promote the first book because, especially in the series, to get people to read the second book. It, it, that is probably one of the biggest challenges uh, I found um, to start promoting multiple books interlinking them and yet keeping i mean your first book of a series is always that's the genesis novel right so you have to find a way to keep that front and center in your marketing because they won't get to the rest of your reading yeah, if, if they don't read it but yet you're still trying to you know market future books in the series as distinctive and you know as amazing as the first book it's it's i find that it's a tough it's a, it's a tough thing to do but you know we have to have to cope with it 
But um, one question I have for all, all three of you is that, um, you know, do you find that in a series, we've, we've, we've all read, read a lot of books, and I'm including our book, do you find that the second book in a series is, uh, does it usually suffer that sophomore jinx for you? Do you think it's it's not quite as good as the first one, and then maybe the third one is better? But typically, just average over what you read, do you find that the second book in a series, is it stronger? Is it not as strong? Uh, I've had the good fortune to read a lot of series where the second book is is quite a bit stronger than the first, and I think that shows like you know what all writers are striving for is continuous improvement. I'd like to think my second book is stronger than my first. I may like my first book more, but I think my, my second book's a better book. Um, you know, but what do you find in terms of uh, second books in a series? Yeah. Well, from a you know a pure. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, from a purely you know reader's perspective, I'm not an author, but. Uh, I think it it really depends. There have been cases where they've worked for me and cases where they don't. So, uh, well, I guess just to put shots fired out there, um, the second uh, Mistborn book, The Well of Ascension, didn't like it. I really, that's not my book. That's just not, it's not for me. And clearly I like Sanderson, so it's not a a knock on the author. But um, for me, that had second book syndrome real bad, where I felt like everyone was just kind of stuck in their own little pockets of the world. Uh, And I think the point was character development in order to prepare them for, you know, the Sander Lanch at the end in in the third book and uh, to get the characters where they needed to be. Um, But yeah, I was bored to tears through a lot of that book. So for me, it had real bad second book syndrome. But an example of a second book that I think did an amazing job, uh, speaking of Evan Winter, is The Rage of Dragons. The first book, like I said, the battle scenes are phenomenal. But the main character, and I say this all the time on my channel, but the main character, he is dumb. He is not the smartest tool in the shed. And he's supposed to be. That's the point. He's very single-minded. You know, it's not a spoiler to say it's a revenge story. It's on, like, page one. Um, And he's very single-minded, and and, and it has to be that way. But it did leave it feeling like the side characters weren't the best formulated in the first book. But the second book uh, is fantastic in that regard. And the side characters work with the main character and make him a better main character because of their interactions with him. So that's a book that knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll notice in both of these cases, I'm talking about characters. I said I'm a character-based reader. I'm sure there's also plot <laughs> aspects that make a second book better or not so much. But for me, those are two that really stick out as ones that worked and ones that didn't. Yeah. So, okay, well, I guess for me, and I'm going to go to Abercrombie again. I thought that before they are hanged is is uh, is is a is a. I mean, I again, I love Blade itself because it's the first book. But I think the second book, while still having all the same qualities as the first one, goes up a notch. Um, just, I think I was inadvertently very lucky with my books in that they effectively set out the books one and two have the same continual story arc. The book two starts straight after the first book. And it culminates a story arc at the end of the second book. So it's almost like a duology. And then time moves forward 10 years for the third book. So if you're being super critical, it's like a duology with a standalone afterwards, albeit or within the same world. So without really knowing it, I think I was able to avoid at least having to carry the story through without there being an ending. But of course, there always should be an ending and a beginning and an end, even if it's a middle book. I think that's where some of these fall short. If, if it doesn't give you that feeling of, of a reward at the end of that book and you feel it's just another cliffhanger for the next book that's that's the pitfall i would say 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, in terms of uh, going back to your, your question, PL, I think I think it just it, it, on average, it's probably there's as many better second books in my experience as there are worse ones, and it it's a combination of if it's a new writer, there is probably is a combination of they've become a better writer as time has gone on, but then against that, sometimes you can punch a bit harder with the story in the first book because everything is new all the characters are, are new and you can introduce you get all the fun of introducing things whereas in the second book there there is a continue continuity of story and if it is a trilogy or more than that then you have to continue a story at both ends but but then so you take us go back to um uh, game of thrones following on to a clash of kings or, uh, for, uh, you know, i think game, game of thrones is an awesome book but a clash of kings might might just be fantasy perfection yeah of, 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 how, of how good it is agreed and then, agreed and then Steve, Stephen Erickson, I do I do go on about Stephen Erickson a lot, but I think the Malazan series is is amazing. But the first book of that series, I enjoyed it, but it is a it's quite a hard book to digest. It doesn't give the reader much context. It just throws them in at the deep end and says, "Start swimming if you can." And I'm just second... laughing at PL. Don't mind me because he yeah. he's going through the paces with Malazan right now. Yeah, so you can I'm, the yeah, I'm in the midst of Malazan wolves. But AP's going to help me out. Actually, uh, tomorrow he's going to uh, we're going to have a little meet up on his channel where, with a couple other people, and he's going to help. Where are you up to in the series? Uh, the first book. I've only finished the, <laughs> the first book. Was enough for me to go. I need a pause, and I need smarter minds than myself to help me. Uh, and and it's. It's all—it's frankly embarrassing because, as an author, because you, you pride yourself on writing immersive fantasy and understanding immersive fantasy, and yet you pick up a book like, like, it, like my, and you go, "What the hell is going on here?" It, it's incredibly complicated, and it only really started coming to focus for me in the third book, which sounds crazy because that point I went to the like third thousand pages okay i don't feel so bad now then but uh, but, but but it's uh, i i still enjoyed the first book i enjoyed the second book more than the third book for that one was a masterpiece but there there is no getting away from that is an incredibly difficult first book to get into and you've got to make that commitment and investment which not everybody wants to make and not everybody will get the payoff when they make it to book three four five but for what it's worth, I did a, when I, I finished book eight earlier this year. I'm re, I'm reading the ninth book at the moment, and I did a ranking of the first eight. And for me, Gardens of the Moon was, was seventh out of eight. So it's it, there's a lot of better books in that series, as far as I'm concerned. And I try to say this to everybody: you try and give it a chance, even though it's that good. Don't don't give up after the first. 1,500 pages, keep going. <laughs> well, I, 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 and I hear you. Thank you for that encouragement, and, and I'll do my best. I would say, too, that uh, a series that I love, I haven't finished it, but I absolutely love Jenny Wirtz, um, you know, Wars of Light Shadow. Um, you know, I, I think her first book was incredible, but her second book, I, I'm just, you know, I was enamored. I'm, up, I'm on the fourth. I'll be going to the, the fourth now. But, um, yeah, like, second books for me, have been very hit or miss at just yeah. the my choice reading, reading wise, um, you know, but, but I, I will say though that, you know, um, my favorite all time second book, which is the two towers, which is Tolkien. It's my favorite all time second, second book. Um, it, I think, you know, that is the way to, in my mind, take something that was, um, you know, with, with the fellowship of the ring, 
extremely immersive, extremely detailed, describing, you know, a leaf down to, you know, the, the, the tip of the leaf and, and, and ending up on a bit more action to really taking it to that next level with, you know, action and battle and, you know, immersive world in the second book. And that's, that's, I think to me, that's still the gold standard for a best second book in a, in a especially in a trilogy, because most of the one, most of the books obviously are better fancy or trilogies, but series, sorry, or trilogies. So yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great second book. Yeah, it's hard that. to know how to take the 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 feedback about like I, you, you sort of you want of course you want each new book to be better than the last one but there is that kind of nagging thing at you it just thinks oh you know I, I actually just want them all to be the same standard but you know whatever the highest opinion is of the standard of the books it it's, it's that thing because you know now I I sort of sometimes I have people read the first book and I think hey it's very difficult to say because there's a million books out there you want to say to them I think I've addressed some of these things in book two. Please read on. You know, it's like if if Dan can read nine of the Malazan books, you can read my my eight hundred page series in its entirety or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because you do, you think I've improved so much. I just need to get people to that third book. But I get it. You know, you have to grip people with book one at the end of the day, and you have to keep them gripped through book two. Yeah. Ryan Cahill actually made a comment on that because we had him on page chewing a little while ago. He was saying, yeah, whenever people say, yeah, book two is so much better. He's like, I know the mean well, but I'm like, damn it. Yeah. Like my reaction to that is just like, oh. <laughs> I feel the same way when people go, oh my God, book two. And it's like, and I'm like, oh, but book one. And then it's your, like I said, it's my personal, so far it's my personal baby. And maybe I'll yeah. feel differently by the time I've written book seven, but as it stands now, you know, that's my baby, right? So, but you know, I, I think as we, and and I think, I'm not sure if it was Tom or Daniel had said about uh, the fact that, you know, once once a book is published out there, it's the souls of all the people that read it, as well as the author that 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 really, you know, determine the book and what it is, right? It, you know, and I always say that we as writers, we, we don't own our books once we publish it. We have accountability for them, but really the book is owned by the reader and more than just the fact that they've spent their money to purchase it. They own the interpretations and how they see it. And, and sometimes as authors are like, I didn't write that that way to be interpreted that way. But yeah, I, I, you know, that's, that's, it's totally subjective, right? So Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's, I think that's a great point. Pete. That, that, I, I find it really interesting at times reading what people, how people have interpreted the book. And, and I was thinking, I wish I'd thought about that when I wrote that. That's a real demonstration that, uh, of the author's depth there. Yeah. yeah. That goes so well into what Esme said, which is um, kind of similar. How does it feel when readers pick up on foreshadowing or little hints that you deliberately put in your story? Do you ever have readers who are spot on with their predictions for the rest of the series? You know, because so maybe people give you hidden depths that you don't feel you deserve sometimes, but maybe also they call you out and they're like, hey, I know exactly where this is going. So I really enjoy that side of it. I enjoy yeah. I enjoy that there is there is for speaking for my own books. I enjoy that there's foreshadowing in the books that I know I've put in that a really careful reader could find that will give hints to what might be happening a long way down the line in the story. But I also know that there are red herrings I've put in there just to uh, put, throw them off the scent as well. So that it's it's very interesting watching, you know, reading about some of the conspiracies. And there was, I'm not going to say who it was, but there was one person who absolutely 
because uh, I'd say for about for the series of books I've got, the the overarching story is hinted at in book one, but the but I don't reveal it, and it, it will get revealed across the four book out. But one person on book one made a comment, and I thought, oh, you, you've you've really you've 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 almost called it there. So, uh, but then again, there's a lot of others that are. That way wider the mark, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting following that, watching it go on. But again, that's that's a big part of a book resonating with readers. If you can get you can get people having a debate about what does something mean, what what did the author mean, where might that lead, how do I interpret this, then that makes people are feeling and thinking about a book. It will resonate that much more strongly, and it will make people want to carry on with the story. So for that reason, going back to the question, foreshadowing is, you know, it's an important thing and it's great when readers pick up on it, even if it's the, uh, a false foreshadow as opposed to a real one. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'll, that's a, I'll let one of you take over from that. <laughs> so overall, it's a good feeling for you. It's great. It's a guy. I love it. Yeah, it's a great feeling. It's my favourite thing. It it's difficult because I'm, I'm always like, you know, feel free to reach out with your with your ideas and feedback. And it's actually a nightmare when people start bringing it to you because all you can really answer is the zipped face emoji because you can't you can't start getting into conversations about it. But I mean, probably one of the biggest things with my, at least my first two books is that they they are twisty. I mean, if if you enjoy books that are going to throw twists and turns at you, that is really I think probably where the strength of those books lies, and that's reported in most of the reviews. So now it means that anybody who goes into it, every time they feel that they find something that it must be the twist, they jump on it. And obviously there are a few throughout the books and it's, I guess, for the reader to distinguish what the real big twists and turns are. But I do enjoy that. I mean, that's what I enjoy in reading. I've been reading a lot more mystery and, and you know Agatha Christie and the like of late. And I love that kind of stuff. So to put a bit of that into a fast-paced fantasy where you you never really have too long to think about the twist before the reveal happens or whatever it's difficult for a longer book to maintain that unpredictability over a story arc i really admire writers that can do that because you really have to be very selective with the information that you give and it's a real skill yeah i i i, I totally agree and I, I i concur that it is the highest compliment to, as an author i feel when People message me, uh, especially if it's fellow authors, say, I figured out what that plot line is all about. And this is what's gonna happen. And I'm like, you know, and like you said, sometimes it's, you know, it's a it's a complete red herring. <laughs> you're yeah. totally trying to throw someone off. And sometimes where it is deliberate foreshadowing, you're like, bravo, you know what? I don't admit it to them, but you know, bravo, you yeah. in, internally I'm thinking you figured it out. And of course, as Tom said, the response can only be, well, I guess I have to wait and see and read the book. Yeah. But 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 it is. I am astounded. I, one thing I've learned, you know, you, you always have to give credibility to. You know, readers are extremely intelligent. It's rare that you're going to completely outsmart everyone um, in terms of what you think is the most, you know, diabolical and well hidden, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, plot point that's you've woven in there, and you know, there's no way they're going to pick up on that uber ambiguous point that's going to lead to this. But someone's going to figure it out, right? Um, that said, I, I think. I enjoy, I won't lie to you, I enjoy throwing my readers off. I enjoy, uh, it's it's one of those things that, you know, that that evil side of you, you, you want to mess people up and they go like, oh my God, I, I, I didn't see that coming. I, I think we all enjoy that as 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 authors. I, one of my favorite reviews 
was recently when someone said, I love this series, but I have no idea where it's going after they read book two. And I'm like, yes, yes, I don't <laughs> want you to know. And then after book three, which ends on a pretty explosive point, um, you know, I think people are going to be going, what? Like, where the heck is this going? And I love it, right? I, I, I love that, but hopefully in a good way. Right. And and I took the risk to end my first book on a cliffhanger. I think Tom was mentioning that. And it was, you know, it, it was just one of those things where as an indie author, you feel like, okay, well, throw out all the writing rules. I'm going to take a risk that I think is going to work well for the series and in its entirety. And because you know, they all say, Don't end your book on a cliffhanger, and you know, just one of those, you know, generic rules. And I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna do it. And I think it paid off. You know, yeah. I, it, the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but but the second book is much more. There's much more of somewhat a conclusion, as 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 Tom was saying. It feels a bit more contained, right? Um, but yeah, I I I do I do enjoy, um, you know, I do enjoy the foreshadowing. I do enjoy doing it. this foreshadowing throughout my book, throughout my series, and um, you know, if you keep following the breadcrumbs, I feel uh, for the most part, except for the red herrings, like Daniel said, it will it will lead you. I want people to go back and go. Oh my God! How could I miss that? I, I should have, you know, was there all along in plain sight, mm-hmm. hiding in plain sight. George R. R. Martin is great at that. You know, there's some authors are just they're fantastic at giving you these, th- and you're like, how could I not have not have picked that up? But I love that. So mm-hmm. it totally so determines the response. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. I would say just it totally changes the response, right? So it's either a uh, I didn't get any foreshadowing for this twist that just happened. That doesn't really make any sense. I know that's for shock value. Or it's uh, throwing the book across the room because you're just so frustrated because you knew this thing was coming or you knew in the back of your mind. It totally changes the, the reaction to the twist and it can fall so dead if you haven't foreshadowed it in the right way or set it up in the right way, whether it's a, a twist, a turn, whatever it may be. Um, mm-hmm. That's where it's so important and you don't realise it until that moment as a reader. Definitely agree with that. Um, and as also from a reader's perspective, there's there's joy in being surprised, but it's also not a bad thing to get what you expect because sometimes that's just where the plot should end up based on other yeah. factors, right? So, you know, uh, we may, well, I'm going to pull up a, a, a comment from way earlier that I, I didn't have a chance to pull up, but um, it says here, villains also need a satisfying end to their journey. Please don't tease us and then just drop the ceiling on them. So for people... Who know what this is referencing um yeah game of thrones tv yeah. show yeah. just the the idea of subverting expectations uh, i think has become a <laughs> little it too, it's become <laughs> just become ruined that scene for me <laughs> that was horrible it was horrible it was i horrible. can't it's horrible can't. it's horrible and so that's an example of a surprise not being what you want because yeah, I don't care how surprising it is. I I would have thrown my TV across the room if I could have, you know, in it was that horrible. scene. You know, so and on top of that, their faces were pristine. A building <laughs> fell on top of them and their faces are pristine. Like make yeah. I, I couldn't At do least it. Sell it. Horrible. At least sell it. So okay. so I would say to, to that point that um the most important piece I think of single piece of editing that my wife did on these books is that the ending of the third book is now different to what it was going to be. I initially wanted to end the book on an epilogue that was a twist and unexpected ended on a very kind of like discordant, uncomfortable happening. 
And in the end, when she she sat down and spoke to me about the books and how they'd progressed up until that point, she felt that there was a different ending, which I won't say what it was, that was more befitting the books and would leave the reader with a more uh, with a better feeling. So instead of just going ahead and doing something just because it was the unexpected thing to do, I did go and give what I thought at that point was right for the for the actual story um, after that intervention. And it was definitely the right choice because it was in my nature to just go, nobody's going to expect this. And it wasn't the right call. No, that, that first draft you sent me where the, the ceiling dropped on the wall just didn't work. So <laughs> oh, <mind>. yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, that idea. <laughs> That's a threat there. <laughs> You'll have to read it and find out. So as far as I'm concerned, I've already won. That's where all the people are coming. Well, I think going back to what you were saying, Taylor, there is there is an importance that you 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 lay out some crumbs that the perceptive reader picks up on and then does see resolution of things. And for me, it's about people who read your book and carry on reading past book one are making an investment of their time and attention into your work. And the right thing to do as an author when someone's doing that is to give them rewards where they see payoff of, well, I've followed this character for this amount of time. I thought that's where it's going to end up. And it's ended up somewhere, maybe not there, but close to that. Or I thought that's where the character's personality was going to develop and it's moved in that way. And, that, and that, that's, you know, that's that's equally as important as as twists, whether those twists are foreshadowed or or come out of nowhere as a shock. Is, is rewarding the reader who invests their time in reading your book. And that's that's very important. That's about, as an author, for me, that's about patience. It's, it's wanting to have a payoff and thinking it's going to be brilliant when this happens and people read it. But now's not the time. Let's wait. Let's make them wait. Let's make them wait. And the payoff will be that much greater for the people who put the investment in when it gets there. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's asking a lot of a reader to invest time and effort and, you know, they could be doing other things, but they're reading that book, right? So, you know, getting that reward means a lot <laughs> to us as readers, like, oh, this is worth all the time I spent, you know, on this book. Um, we had another question, which is, uh, do you commit to writing the whole series before seeing the reception to book one? Uh, as I'm writing a series and I'll finish it, even if book one bombs, as I have a story to tell. It's a good question. <laughs> uh, I can speak for myself mentally. I'm committed to finishing this, this series. It's um, both from a personal point of view of this is something I've always wanted to do and I want to tell this story, but also from the sense of Going back to the point about readers' investment of their money, their time, their attention, their emotions into the story, asking people to have started that journey with with the book, I feel uh, an obligation and a duty and one that I'm happy to have to to see it through to the end. I mean, I think to, to tell a complete story. I mean, you've got there, Tom, in terms of you've, you've, you've got through that whole process, so you've done it, so you've you, you you can down know that you've taken the reader from from the start to the finish, can't you? Which must be a great feeling. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. But but interestingly, with mine, 
when I started book one, I didn't know it was going to be a series. I got to the end of book one and felt it was too easy to wrap everything up in one book. And then it became a series. So it, I, I didn't actually know it was ever going to be. I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to write the first book. So I'm, I'm already way into uncharted territory, really. But yeah. yeah, it's nice. It's really I have to say it's really lovely now having people who are new. It's, it's great having people who have had to wait between the books, but having somebody who can pick up the story and know they're going to be able to see the whole thing through. Seeing people read them back to back is is obviously very, very cool. Um, but yeah, in the end, I was writing it for me and for those people that I also it had a hard time with the third book. And probably the main thing that got me across the line was knowing that I, I had people who were invested in the series and I needed to finish off the story because I thought the people would want to see where that went. So it, it started off writing it for me. And in the end, I was writing it for anybody who had suffered that far in the series. Yeah, I agree. And of course, I'm writing a seven book series, but then I have two prequel trilogies planned and then a final definitive seven book series to wrap up kind of the entire universe. And, um, you know, I too am totally invested for me in my writing. I'm hoping that I continue to have an audience that grows and likes my writing and likes my books, but this is definitely a labor of love uh, on a personal level. Um, and what is funny though, we talk about, you know, Daniel brought up that interesting point and, and Taylor and myself and Steve and a lot of our writers have talked about this whole, um, you know, the, the, the GRM, the Patrick Rothfuss, I don't know if you want to call it a thing where, um, you know, some of these highly popular writers have not finished their series and Bookborn actually, uh, Zach Argos spoke, he's done, did a phenomenal, uh, video about do these authors owe their readers to finish their series? And I'll, I won't spoil what, what conclusions he came to, but, uh, certainly there's that, there's that, um, you know, it, it's, I feel that obviously the same way that I have that commitment to my readers, it's more about my commitment to me. As much as I, I love my readers and I'm I'm so grateful for my audience and people who enjoy my, my books and I'm so extremely humbled that anyone's reading them at all. But, um, you know, I'm finishing and writing that for me. But if something happened to me that, um, you know, I no longer wanted to write, um, you know, I would stop. And yes, I would feel guilty disappointing the people that, that um, you know, like my work, but at the same time, you have to be, again, I talked about writers being accountable for the writing, you know, we're accountable to ourselves and we're accountable for what we write. And when we yeah. choose to finish, whether that's, you know, thinking of a book is gonna be uh, one book, as Tom said, and deciding it's gonna be a trilogy, or I think it's going to be a trilogy and wrapping up as a standalone, or I think it's some books and wrapping up as, as four, because those are the decisions that we do get to make as writers, right? And and unfortunately, yeah. no one can make it for us. And people may be disappointed, um, you know, and that's unfortunate, but at the same time, and, and uh, it's not like we don't feel a sense of responsibility, but ultimately we are in charge of that, you know, uh, that aspect, so. Can, can I just pick, can I just go back to what you said, PL? So you, you've got the seven book series that you're writing, that you've written book three, and then you're going to do two prequel trilogies and this, did you say another seven book series? Wow. That's, that's I thought I was a planner movie. before I met this man. He yeah, he's man. I don't hold a candle. <laughs> it, it, but 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 again, no matter what you're writing, um, you know, I feel that, you know, there is that balance between, you know, feeling that sense of responsibility to your audience and you deciding you know, you know what your body of work is going to be, right? Um, you know, but I think because I think the three, the three of us, and 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 almost everybody in the world, wants to be able to look back at some point in their career and be proud of 
of their the the entirety of their body of work, how they yeah. did it, um, you know, uh, obviously the response to it, but also how they laid it out, um, you know, and and you have to have that sense of self satisfaction with how you did did things ultimately, or else you know you're, you're probably not going to want to keep writing, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. So um, that's definitely how I feel. But yeah, yeah, it's crazily ambitious. I know, I know. But but I I I hope I said this yesterday in speaking with Eve and Taylor. Um, I hope that once it's all written, God willing, I, you know, I live yeah. to write the entire 20 books and, you know, that people understand why it's that way. Yeah. And I think after book three, people will start to understand, but, you know, we're still too early in to really, um, you know, say, but, you know, I think you have to get to my book three, which I'm yeah. still writing and, 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 and it's going to come out next year. To, yeah. I think at the end of book, people will go, okay, I think I'm starting to understand why this could be a bit longer than, than a, than a trilogy. Well, there's such a sense of depth and breadth to the world in reading the first book. So I can see that I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you've got that plan for, for, for that many books. And I can imagine it's a very detailed plan, but I can I can understand how you could have that kind of plan, seeing the depth and breadth of the world that's evident in the first book. You really get a sense of something that you have spent a, a, a massive amount of time creating to make it feel lived in and make it feel real. I'm really impressed by that. Thank you so much, sir. Again, as you said, praise from a fellow author that I respect is, is like gold. So thank you. We have a response to the original question, which was, if writing stops being fun, I won't do it. I don't want it to be work. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I love that mindset, PL. I think readers can tell when a series is a labor of love, and that will always help with investment, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah, we can yeah. tell when an author cares. <laughs> uh, speaking of bodies of work, Tom, what's your plan for your fourth book? Tom, Tom's internet connection's breaking up. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I was going to sit a bit contrary here. I wouldn't say that writing is a labor of love for me. Um, I, I have to say that I started it and I feel that maybe even after book one, I'd got what I wanted to get out of writing insofar as saying that I'd written a book. And that was that was what I set out to want to do. Although I, you know, at the time I had a, a wave of momentum that meant that I wanted to carry on to book two. I started writing when I was redundant, I was made redundant um, during the pandemic, because I was I work in the travel industry, and I had a lot of time that, that gave me writing conditions that I've not had since that have become increasingly difficult to write in since because I've become more and more busy. So for me to go on writing is going to be a tough, tough ask, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I, um, touching a little bit on what we were just discussing in that last in that last question, I'm very torn because probably the easiest entry point for me to go and write something else would be to go back into writing in the world that I've already established, do another trilogy, do a standalone, do a prequel, short stories. I mean, I could probably cobble together an idea for those. I would probably only be inspired and excited to do something different. And at the moment, I haven't got the brain, I haven't really had the brain power to conjure up an idea that I think would make, that would be good enough to, for me to put my name to it being my fourth, well, my next thing. I wouldn't want my next thing to be any worse than my last thing. So um, at the moment, I would say that book four, and it's actually interesting as well. I, one of the weirdest things that's come, that's come to me is having finished the series, I, my initial feeling was, if I don't sell this third book within the first seven days, I won't get any more sales. As it is, I'm getting now, of course, logically, lots of sales 
yeah, relatively speaking, for book one. I'm getting most of the most of the books I'm selling at the moment is The Look of a King. I'm busy with an audio book. I'm busy with compiling the books into a collective edition. So I've never been busier with this series, actually. And, and it's like you say, when you are self-published and you, all of your all of your marketing comes from you, it's quite difficult to decide whether you are just constantly chasing the next thing or whether you're actually just saying, I've still only got X number of reviews for this book. There's a lot of people that haven't read this one yet. And, and I want to try and make sure that it gets you know adequate readership. So <laughs> the short answer is, could be quite some time off before book four, but we'll see. You never know when an idea is just going to strike you. And, and honestly, when you do start writing, you find the time, right? Yeah. And it's when you get, it's nothing wrong with taking that pause, Tom, until you feel the hunger to do it again, because you, yeah. you've had that and it comes through, it, it comes through in your books, you know, that you were passionate about your writing. And there's, no, there's nothing wrong, even when that idea comes to say, this still isn't the right time for me, but when that right time arrives, I'm going to start writing again. And yeah. you've, you've already established your place as a writer and you've got a following already. It's a lot of pressure, though. That's one of the big things, I think, when you haven't got that marketing machine behind you, yeah. keeping you visibly yeah. relevant for yeah. years between books. It is a lot of pressure to think I I've always had another book done before that next book, yeah. before the previous book comes out. So it's a weird time now because I know there is a there is going to be a gap. Um, but at the same time, I, I'd spoken to you, Dan, and a couple of times. Oh, I'm going to try and get something in for SPFBO next year. I'm going to, and I just thought, and you, you, you cautioned me on that because it's like, well, what? So I'm just going to write a book to a deadline from a point where I've got no specific ideas. It's not going to be a good book. I mean, there's questions over whether my first series was a decent book. So I mean, I'm certainly not going to go and write one off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. Yeah, no, I I completely, you know, and I so respect that. Tom and and you know it's funny a lot of us I'm sure wonder deep down what our future is going to look like and you know what will happen at a time when we stop writing uh, or we what we whether we feel that we have to stop writing because we no longer have that joy or that enjoyment or unfortunately you know whether it's mental capacity or you know things happen age etc you know but but realizing as Indies especially that you know we have the luxury of hey you know no one's going to uh, cancel our our contract. Uh, no one is going to take our books off of Amazon unless we choose to do so, unless Amazon's model changes in the future. So we can, you know, Tom, you could spend the rest of your days marketing your series and it turned into a, a worldwide best-selling series and you never read another book, right? And and that's the the other side that I mentioned earlier when Daniel was talking about, when we're talking about the second book, that, yeah, like, you know, is that having in your head realize that, hey, you know, once I've published books, if they're going to sell, I have to keep marketing them constantly. And that is a full-time job in and of itself. So mm -hmm. even if I don't write 50 books, if I wrote five, 10, and I market them really well and they sell well, you know, is that it, 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 there, there's so many elements there and it, it so much depends on the individual, what, what your plans are. But I am very cognizant of the fact that, you know, like writing 20 books, well, I'm 53. So that's going to take me to my 70s. So, you know, but then I want to keep, them selling and relevant so i'm going to be marketing them for the rest of my life if god willing i'm into my 80s 90s like you know when i stop writing i'll still be marketing like, so so it's never going to end right mm -hmm. until you know so i and but that's not a bad thing and, and i and i think tom that you know i so respect the fact that you are not uh ready to just write a book for the sake of writing it to you know potentially you know uh, get some more traction win a contest and you know because i, I think we've all we're all aware that 
Many readers won't even touch your series until it's finished. Many yeah. readers, people have messaged me and said, hey, uh, what book is this? In your, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll keep wandering to you until it's, it's on, on book five or six because you'll be, you know, because again, unfortunately, and, and I'm not blaming them, it's not, but this whole GRM Patrick Rothfuss thing, a lot of readers, it's in their heads that, you know, hey, is this person going to finish the series? I, I don't want to get invested in one book, in book one, and then they end up deciding, ah, I'm not going to write a, write another book in that series, mm -hmm. especially if you're self-published because you have a lot more latitude to go, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to tailor that to a duology or standalone, and that's it. Whereas, you yeah. know, so I, 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 do, I do respect that, Tom. That answer very much and you know I, you. I admire i admire uh, your thought process there so well even from a creator's perspective you know a lot of booktubers go on random hiatuses and they'll come back and be like sorry i didn't expect to have no creative flow but uh i couldn't you know record i couldn't have any ideas and now i'm back so it's pretty normal i think in the creative space sometimes it's just not the time you know mm -hmm. um and we also, Esme is heading out. So she says she's got to go. And she had a Bye, blast. Esme. Thanks Thank for you stopping for by. Awesome. Really appreciate it. I will actually yeah. just, I want to, I'm going to just bring in for a second. This is a little treat that my wife snuck up to me when we we're on the call. So for those wanting to see the wonderful original word versions, look at the king. This is my original <laughs> copy that I put together. Oh, the, the light is on it. Uh, but yeah, there we go. That's what I came up with. That's, yeah, still that's, still pretty good. that's still pretty yeah, good. And it's, that's it's not what I expected. Anybody yeah. who wants to commission me to design their covers, <laughs> there you go. Just putting that out there. No longer a writer will design covers. Yeah. <laughs> that's the future. That's the real oh, answer. That you're going to exactly. Be I've been trying to find my way into the community and now I'll start designing <laughs> everyone's covers. Oh, wow. That looks awesome. See? Yeah, it does. It does. It does look awesome. It's, I mean, obviously. these ones down the back there. Now I think about how successful they could have been. I, I feel guilty for rubbishing it now, so <laughs> But the original concept—that's the original concept. It looks yeah. great. Like yeah. it's—it it sprung the completed cover in the back behind mm -hmm. you, sprung from that original concept. So yeah. Well, I think also, we do, I'm know, all the brilliance of these books. That's that's what I think we're trying to get to. We're trying to encapsulate. I'm all of the great ideas behind these books <laughs> is right here. Yeah. Thanks. I couldn't have said it better. Well, when you are world famous, though, that copy. Is gonna yeah. be, yeah. Gonna That's what I'm holding there. on to it. <laughs> yeah. You gotta sign it. You gotta sign it. You know. <laughs> have you seen my signature? Uh, it's quite embarrassing every time I put my signature in there. I haven't. I haven't. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, as always, time flies. Yeah. Page queuing, but we are coming up on you know over an hour and a half now. Uh, so. Uh, we don't want to keep people too long so thank you for taking time out of your day to join us on page yes, two uh but you. before we head out we always like to let the guests and also co-hosts as well pl uh tell people where they can find you anything they can look forward to in the spaces that you're you're on uh if people who are watching this want to look you up after so maybe same thing if you want to go daniel tom pl maybe that's okay, the wrong uh, Th this way there we go that with me yeah uh, okay well I'll just, just show the book again in case people have forgotten what my book is. Um, so in terms of things coming up, um, people can find me on Twitter at Daniel T. Ilborn. They can find me on Instagram at Daniel T. Jackson Ilborn. And I tend to post the fullest comments about what I'm doing on Instagram and then shorten versions of that on Twitter. Uh, and also on Goodreads, I'll give updates on that. And as a heads up, I'm, at some point during August, I'm going to be 
announcing news about the publication date of my second book, Age Will Sin. Uh, and I've also got over the next couple of months um, some cover art to share. And I hope to run a first promotion on the ebook sometime between now and the publication date of book two. So if you're following me on, on Instagram and Twitter and also on my, my Goodreads blog, then there's going to be a lot of information about the second book coming out in the in the near future. And and thank you, guys. Over to you, Tom. Yeah, so um, well, I've just basically told you not a lot going on. Is uh, That's the kind of the, the summary, but actually, no. So um, work is underway on the Look of the King audiobook, which I'm hoping to get quite soon. I've, I've recently discovered audiobooks myself, so I see what a, a great new opportunity that is, and I've connected with a narrator that's, that's doing a really fine job on that, so that shouldn't be too far away. And then my really exciting news, um, I say particularly for those who have enjoyed the series or are new to it, is I have a, a very special compiled collector's edition that has been the absolute bane of my existence for so long. Note to self, don't uh, format a 900-page book on Word, uh, lesson learned. Um, but that is coming very, very soon. I will, I'm partnering with a, a very well-known <laughs> online fantasy book retailer who shall remain unnamed. Um, but we'll be having uh, the the first examples of the the art, the, the foiling, and all the other special touches on the book, and that'll be a really lovely chance uh, for a small number of people to be able to buy, you know, the book as a compiled set um, and to read the story start to finish. So, um, never heard of them, uh, um, but uh, so yeah, so that's that's something to keep an eye out for. And then I, I'm predominantly on Instagram. I'm terrible with Twitter, but I, you know, you can find there's not too many Tom Dumbrells, fortunately, on Instagram. So that should be fairly easy to find. And there I'll be talking about any other cool stuff I'm doing with the books. And of course, my own reading journey, which hopefully I can share with people um, as we are first and foremost readers. Just to insert in, in between here, uh, you said the word special edition, which is my my calling card so i will be there um and i just wanted to put this up here formatting a book in word what a masochist yeah especially since said special edition has some absolutely incredible um art uh, inclusions some illustrations new maps and everything in there but there's stuff there's stuff jumping all over the page like you wouldn't know so it's uh it, it actually it's, it's giving me the sweats just talking about it at the moment but it is uh it is very very close now so i'm excited to have been able to really kind of push the boat out and and do something that is visually a little bit different from the original books, but obviously gives that full story. So that's, that's keeping me busy. Wow, Just take so my money. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So excited. I, I know I'm going to become a, a big fanboy of Tom series. I just have that sense of I'm usually never wrong about these things. So can't wait to read it. As you know, I'm PL Storm already a, a part of the, the, the Daniel Jackson fanboy. Uh, club. Uh, I'm the author of the Drawn Kingdom uh, and the Last Day of Atlantis. Was that wait, wait, wait? Was that the sound of the book? That is yeah, a that was the sound of the book. <laughs> that it, was... This is a it's a chunker. Right? It made it's my a... desk shake here, and we're thousands of miles. I apart. was just yeah. so that just took me by surprise. I'm sorry to cut you off, PL. Please continue. <laughs> just when we we break Immortals, that's a thousand pages. But you know, yeah, this this feels almost as heavy. So, uh, and it's around 700. But anyways. Um, yeah, so uh, author of Drown Kingdom and the Last Atlanteans, book two, and the some book, The Drown Kingdom Saga. From on Twitter, I'm all over Twitter. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and things like that, but really, Twitter's where I lurk. Also, I'm a blogger with the wonderful Before Go blog, led by the incredible Beth Tabler. Taylor and I are both assistant editors there, and um, you can find our views on Goodreads. Also, Taylor and I are both 
judges in the current SBFBO, SBFBO 8. So, you know, you'll see reviews coming out about that, coming out uh, on that contest, of course, ongoing uh, throughout the year uh, and into next year. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, thanks again, Taylor, so much for hosting this. And this, you know, it's amazing. And it's just a pleasure, on, a pleasure and honor to work with you. And it's been a pleasure and honor to have, uh, have our two authorship. It's fantastic. Yeah, a lot of fun. No, thank you to both of you. I really appreciate you inviting us on here. And it's, it's been, as Tom said, it's been a brilliant chat. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for coming. We had a couple other comments about uh, just having a bit. They enjoyed the chat. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> that was a <laughs> I think I'm going to put Richard in as, as, as marketing exec or something. I like There you go. Richard, you've been promoted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic chat. And I, I second all of these comments. So yes, thank you so much for, for coming on. I swear every time I get to host one of these episodes, it's a pinch me moment. I love it. So uh, if you're watching page Twoing on my channel right now, you probably already know me, but in case you don't, my channel is made between the pages. I talk a lot about all different types of genres, but fantasy is definitely my main wheelhouse. You can find me also on Twitter. I tried to resist, but I'm firmly there now. So uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, on Before We Go blog, as PL mentioned. Also, I'll have um, lots of Spiffbo updates coming up in the future, too. Uh, I am very active on Goodreads. I always write a review for every book that I read. So if you'd like to find my thoughts not in video format, you can always find my review on Goodreads, and that's always linked uh, in the description down below. Also on that note, I will have everyone's links down below um, in the description if you're watching this back later. So please go ahead, buy everyone's books, check everyone out. I'll have links for everyone to do that. Uh, but as always, thank you everyone for coming, uh, those of us on the screen and, and those in the comments. It's been a blast uh, and we hope you join us for the next episode. But for now, we're going to head out. See you thank guys. You. Bye. Thank you. Bye.